Friends, um, do, if you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 17. Today, as we turn the corner toward Easter, we're also nearing the end of this series through the book of Acts. And along the way, we've been asking the question, what would Ventura County look like if Jesus were king? And today, we want to ask the important question, but tricky question, what would our cultural engagement look like if Jesus were king? How do we relate to the culture around us. And there are few better places to do that than the Apostle Paul's address to the philosophers in Athens. And we find this in Acts chapter 17. And we're gonna read verses 16 to 23 and I'll lead us in prayer once more. The book of Acts chapter 17, verse 16 to 23. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with them. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to the meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we'd like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Love that. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that you are very religious. For as I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, I found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very things you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, We pray today for those of us here in the parking lot, for those joining online, that we would see the truth and love of the gospel so clearly and powerfully that it would make us a people of love and truth in the way that we engage with the world around us. And if there's anyone who does not yet know you today, we pray that today they would. Open their hearts. Change our lives, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. 2,000 years ago, Jesus told his followers to be in the world, but not of the world. And ever since then, people have been trying to figure out what that means. Where does the church belong? How do Christians relate to culture? For example... Can you be a Christian and be in politics? Don't answer out loud, rhetorical question. Can you be a Christian and be in education? Can you be a Christian and work in science? Can you be a Christian and be an actor? Definitely not, Um, (laughs) kidding. See, the word culture itself can even be tricky when we're asking these questions. Here's a definition I love. Nature is what God makes. Culture is what people do with it. And that could be both good and bad. And there are two errors 
we must avoid when it comes to relating to the culture. Isolation or assimilation. On the one hand, a very common error that Christians make is isolation, which is about removing your influence. This is the view of a fair number of Christians. Remove yourself from the culture, live off the grid on a farm in a sprinter van conversion, making your own sourdough bread and jam, living the good life. Some of you are like, that's pretty much my goal in life. But listen, friends, how can you be, as Jesus said, the salt and light of the world when you avoid the world? That's one mistake, isolation. But there's another mistake, and that is assimilation, which is about losing your influence. And perhaps many of us are in this camp, living with little or no distinction at all whatsoever. For some of us, our faith might be so private that if it was ever revealed, your coworkers would be shocked. Like 10 years into your job, they're like, oh wait, you, you sorry, you're what? You're a Christian? So we must ask this morning, friends, if you are a Christian, which error are you most prone to make? And if you're not yet a Christian, what is it that determines your role in this world? How do you even make decisions? Well, the passage before us today shows us that we should neither remove our influence through isolation, nor should we lose our influence through assimilation, but bring our influence through redemptive participation. Now, what does that look like? Well, as we've learned, the book of Acts records for us the earliest history of the church and what the kingdom of God looks like in the lives of men and women. And through its pages, we've seen leaders who are committed to advancing the gospel all the way from the Jewish center of Jerusalem and farther out to the rest of the world, even leading all the way to Athens. Everyone knew about Athens. Athens had an unrivaled reputation for being the Roman Empire's center of thought. And our text focuses on Paul the Apostle who's gone all the way from preaching the gospel to the prisoners of Rome's cold cells all the way to the philosophers of Rome's cultural capital. And from this scene of Paul preaching in Athens, I want us to see three lessons of what the kingdom coming looks like when we engage in culture. And friends, I want you to know we must have all three. And the first is this. When we engage the culture, we must engage with love. We see that in verse 16. Our text finds Paul waiting for his team in Athens as he had traveled ahead of them in their church planning mission. But as he waits, we find our first lesson. When Paul is there walking the busy streets of Athens, he does not do so as a tourist, but as a man who cares deeply about the souls of the city. How do we know this? Well, the text tells us in verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed. He was greatly moved. How did he become moved? Well, he looked and he listened. And when he did, he saw the idols of the city. Usually images that reflected who or what the people valued most. 
Now, what is an idol? An idol is anything other than God that you believe can give you ultimate meaning, value, significance, worth, the thing that's going to save you. It could be anything. But though an idol always promises salvation, it will never deliver, ever. It could even be a good thing, but it's made into a God thing. It could even be something like family or your career or security, but you look to it to give, it, to give you your salvation. So here's Paul walking through Athens. He's listening and he's looking. And when he sees the idols, he's distressed in his spirit and he's grieved in his spirit. But notice what he does. Some of you might say, oh, I'm grieved every day in Ventura County. But notice, what does he do? Please note, friends, the text does not say when Paul was greatly moved because he wanted to show them that they were wrong. The text does not say Paul was greatly moved because he wanted to be proven right. Nor does the text say he was greatly moved and so he bailed. <laughs> Nor does it say he was greatly concerned so he started a commune outside of Athens. Notice Paul neither lashed out, but he also didn't peace out. He didn't leave the people. Why? He was greatly moved because he wanted them to know God. And this led him to engage with them. And friends, I want us to see that this is not some kind of a sentimental love. It is a complex love. It's that kind of love that you experience when someone you know and love is in living in self-destructive behavior. I'm sure you know people in your life like that right now. I know that I do. I see people and they're making these choices that, that harm themselves. And, and you're grieved. You're, you're moved. You're distressed. So how do we engage with culture? We look and we listen. We pay attention to our neighbors, our coworkers. We listen to their hopes and their fears, their longings, their desires, even their complaints and their protests and their disagreements. For as we do, we will discover what may be blinding them to their need for God. Because listen, friends, this is why this is so important for us. Whatever these idols are, and every city and every county has them, these idols, they act like an off switch to their need for God. They think, I don't need God, I just need my family. I don't need God, I just need my career. I don't need God, I just need a comfortable lifestyle in this county. I don't need God, I just need stability in my life. It acts like an off switch. See, the lie that humanity believes is that we think that we can get what we really need from anything except God. And I want us to be a people who are asking the question, what is everyone in Ventura County searching for? What are the idols? As we walk and as we live, we're not doing so as just tourists or just kind of like checking out. We're saying, God, what are the people around me searching for? And if it's anything other than God, our hearts should break. Please note that before Paul preached to the culture, he was moved for the culture. And this is huge. Paul's burden for the people of Athens led him to engage with the people of Athens. For those of you who are tempted to withdraw or to isolate yourself, or you say, I'm disgusted at what I see in this culture but yet it's leading you to be totally removed. Friends, I plead with you to remember Jesus Christ, who when he saw Jerusalem, though had rejected God, what does Jesus do? He weeps over them. 
Friends, do our hearts break when we see the idols that lead to immorality? Do our hearts break when we see the idols that lead to violence? Do our hearts break when we see the idols that lead to racism and false religion and all these things that we hear about? Do our hearts break? I say this because many of us might be quite ready to make a bold statement on social media about our culture, but do our hearts break for our culture? See, maybe we know these things, but our, but our hearts are cold. We must look. We must listen well. We must be moved with compassion. Some of you are all truth, but there's no love. But friends, you got to see how these are connected because if you listen well, you will speak well. So we can't be cultural hermits and just like bury our heads in the sand. I mean, it's impossible. Anyway, you're a part of the culture, whether you realize it or not. Every time you shop somewhere, go somewhere, engage, you're engaged. The question is, how are you going to be engaged? We need to be engaged with love. Our hearts need to break. We can't be passive. We must be living our lives, like looking and asking the question, what are the idols? And I want you to note that for Paul, his looking and his listening and his caring enabled him to rightly preach to his hearers. And that leads to the next point. Number one, when we engage the culture, we must engage with love. But secondly, when we engage the culture, we must engage with truth. It's both and. It is not either or. And we see this. In Acts 17, verses 17 to 23, if there's one error, and that is to isolate from the culture, then the challenge is for us to love. But what if some of us are prone to lose our distinction? See, some of us might not be prone to lash out or, or to, to peace out, but some of us, we cop out, right? We're like, oh, I just love everybody. We just say we love the culture, but we never acknowledge the idols, I wonder if that would describe many of us this morning. See, we must engage with love and we must engage with truth. And that is what Paul did in Athens. In verse 17, we're told that he reasoned in the synagogue and he preached in the marketplace or, or the, the public square, which is where all the activity of that city was happening. And in verse 18, we learn that his preaching caught the ears of the cultural elites, the philosophers in Athens. And I love this scene. Curious about his preaching, they invited him to the Areopagus or the High Council, which was basically a live studio for the Athenian TED Talks of the day. It was like, hey, Paul, we want you to come. We want you to share these things that they're talking about. Notice it says in verse 19 to 21, May we know this new teaching it is that you're presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. It's basically like a first century version of YouTube beta. Now notice, Paul's engagement did not lead to compromise, but to truth-telling. See, some of us, we say, oh, well, I don't love the culture because we're not going to tell the truth. But notice it's Paul's love for the, the people of that culture that led him to tell the truth. Having looked at what the culture was after, having identified the idols, he then exposed the idols. Verse 22 and 23, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. 
For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. And so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. See, Paul, he doesn't cop out. He challenges their worldview. But please notice how. His loving posture enabled him to bring the truth effectively. Think about this. Through the book of Acts, we have seen preaching take place both to the Jews and to the the Gentiles, the, the Greek and Roman culture. Now, if he was preaching to the Jews, he wouldn't need to start so much farther back. The Jews already believed in God. They believed the prophets. But these philosophers did not share that view. So his listening informed his engagement. He started farther back. He needed to give them a worldview in which the gospel made sense. And when he does, he basically says three things in his speech. People are dependent on God. They are accountable to God, yet they are alienated from God. That's basically his sermon. He says, first of all, friends of Athens, he says, we're dependent on God. He's the creator of everything. We didn't create God. God created us. That means he's not a colleague. He's not a vending machine. He's not a peer. He does not need us. We need him. And the things you enjoy in life, the food and the rain and the sun, they all come from him. This is where we get the good things in culture. But that also means we're accountable to God. Because if we're made by him, then we must answer to him. And it is within that framework, this is a great model of evangelism if you aren't picking up on that. He then tells them the bad news. People are alienated from God. We have turned from him. This is what sin is. And it's what taints and destroys God's good creation. It's why culture is such a mixed bag of both beauty and brokenness. We see it in both. But notice Paul didn't just make a banner that says, repent, sinner. He took the time to listen to where they were at and did the necessary work of explaining what they needed to hear in order for the problem of sin to make sense. But when he did, he then addressed the problem. And the problem does need to be addressed. People must hear the truth about God and the truth about our sin, the truth about our spiritual state. Listen, for some of us, we struggle with truth-telling. For some of you right now, if you describe your engagement with the culture around you and a lot of your relationships, it might be one of compromise. And I want you to hear this. For those of us that wrestle, and I, I understand this well, like, let's be honest, some of us are just people-pleasers. And we don't want to rock the boat. Have you ever used the phrase like, oh, I just love them too much to tell them the truth? Have you ever ever thought that? You probably haven't said it. Like, oh gosh, I need to tell them about their sin and repentance and that they shouldn't be eternally separated from God. But oh, I just love them too much. Actually, you love yourself too much. I love myself too much. When I say I don't want to rock the boat, it's not because I don't love, it's, it's not because I love them too much. It's because I love myself too much. Oh, I don't want this to get awkward. I'm not going to like tell the truth here. Like, I just want it to all be good and it's a nice day and I don't want to ruin it by talking about sin. Friends, we laugh, but it's true, isn't it, for many of us. 
And yet we learn that one of the most loving things that you could possibly do is to tell them the truth. Or to put it another way, if you only affirm the culture, but you don't acknowledge and challenge the brokenness, it's not actually love. It is unloving not to tell the truth. I'd love for us to think about today, where is it that maybe you're in a situation or relationship and you're just not telling the truth? You know you ought. It could be a friendship. It could be a romantic relationship. It could be in your marriage. You're like, oh, I know the truth. We need to talk about this issue. We need to talk about sin. Maybe it's with my unbelieving friend or my boyfriend, my girlfriend, or like in my, maybe in my marriage, we're both Christians and there's something that needs to be addressed, but I'm not just, I'm just burying it. Friends, the most loving thing we can do is to tell the truth. We need to hear this. When we engage the culture, we must engage with love. Our hearts broken for the people around us. But when we engage the culture, we must engage with truth. Some of you on the truth point, you're like, yes, we gotta tell them the truth. But listen, if we only just stop there, if we just give them a, a framework for like a Christian worldview, then we have not fully engaged as we ought. The kingdom of God is not just about the church giving people a Christian worldview or hoping that people embrace Christian morals or values. It's not enough for people just to agree with those ethics and to agree with the morals of Christianity. See, some of us, we think, well, I've argued the case for the Christian sex ethic, so therefore my job is done. And these things might be true and right, but friends, these truths alone will never bring about transformation. And communicating these truths of God without telling them about the love of God will not bring change to the other person. So what is it that ensures that we are both loving and truthful? What is it that brings the change and transformation that we long to see in Ventura County? We must engage with love. We must engage with truth. And thirdly, when we engage the culture, we must engage with the gospel of Jesus. Jesus Christ. This is where it all leads for Paul. It all points to Jesus. And you skip down and you see this at the end of his sermon as he gives this worldview and he talks about the beauty of culture, but also the brokenness of culture. He then presents Jesus in Acts 17, verse 31. He's talking about Jesus. He says, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man, that is Jesus, that he has appointed and he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. For in Jesus, we see truth and love together. In love, Jesus looked into our hearts and he saw that it was full of idols. And in love, he came and he revealed the truth about our sin. He does not hide it from us. Jesus does not pretend that it does not matter. Jesus does not want any one of us to live an illusion or believe a lie that would lead to destruction. Jesus is full of truth. He convinces and convicts us of our immorality, of our sin, of our injustice, of our rebellion, of our brokenness, because he's full of truth. But at the same time, 
Jesus is absolutely and unconditionally committed to your good. More than Paul ever could, Jesus not only engaged with our world, but he sacrificed himself for the world. In the gospel, this is beautiful. In, the, in truth, he reveals the reality of our sin, but in love, he pays the price for our sin. Friends, this is why Good Friday is called good. Because Jesus there, this is what's happening on the cross. In Jesus is found the truth and the love that transforms us and sends us out into the world and into the lives of others. This is why the apostle John writes these words at the beginning of his gospel. He says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Friends, that is the gospel. And this both affirms and challenges what's going on in our own hearts. If you're tempted to be removed, it is the good news of Jesus that keeps you from isolating. Think about it. What if Jesus never came into our world? What if he was just greed, but he never went? Where would we be? We'd be lost forever. But it's also the good news of Jesus that keeps you from becoming just like the culture. What if Jesus never revealed our sin? What if if he never said the hard truths? Then we wouldn't see our need. We would be walking in blindness and we'd never be able to repent. We would still be lost. See, we all want to see the kingdom of God come into our lives and come into this culture and the way that happens is the truth and love of the gospel. Notice it's not the truth or love of the gospel. It is the truth and love of the gospel. God is so committed to your good and the good of others that he comes in truth and love. So friends, I believe this morning that the Holy Spirit would touch on two areas in our hearts. Some of us might be cold. Our love for the people around us has grown cold. Others of us were compromised. Maybe you yourself are continuing in a pattern of sin or you're enabling somebody else to do so. And the Spirit of God wants to speak to both. If that's you this morning and you just sense this coldness in your heart and you haven't been showing love, the Holy Spirit says to you, my dear child, that that harshness, that indifference that's in your heart, it's toxic for you and for others. It does not reflect the love I've shown to you. If friend, if that's you, you need to be overwhelmed this morning by the marvelous grace of God. Because he looked at you and saw that your heart was full of idols and yet he didn't write you off. He came to you. He pursued you. If you find today that in your heart, There's compromise and you haven't been speaking the truth. Maybe right now the Holy Spirit's like, hey, in this situation, you're not telling the truth. You're not speaking the truth. The Holy Spirit says to you, do you see the truth that I've communicated to you? Do you see that the most loving thing that I could do is tell you the truth? See, friends, I'm convinced that what Ventura County needs to see is a kingdom culture of courage and compassion. Some of us have courage, but we don't have compassion. Some of you have compassion, but you don't have courage. 
But it's when you see the gospel of Jesus Christ that you're moved with compassion because you're like, I'm a sinner. If Jesus didn't come to me, I'd be left out in the dark and the cold forever separated from him. But it also gives you the courage because you're like, God's word is true and it changes our lives. And the way this happens, the way that we become men and women of courage and compassion is from treasuring Jesus Christ. See, here's the good news this morning, friends. You and I, we don't create this power to bring truth and love together. We receive it. We receive the truth and love of the gospel and we reflect it to other people because this morning Jesus says, I see you and I love you. I see the sin in your life and because I love you, I'm gonna reveal it and because I love you, I already paid for it so you simply have to receive forgiveness from me and be renewed by me. That's the power of truth and love. It doesn't leave people condemned. It doesn't leave people lost. It leaves people transformed. That's what the Spirit of God wants to do in our hearts. And as you experience this in your heart, it then sends you out into the lives of others. You hear Christ's voice say to you, I see the people in this county. I see the people in this culture and I love them. It is this deep experience of grace, the truth and love of the gospel that enables us to be a community of truth and love together, all flowing from and pointing towards that incredible truth and love of Jesus who loved you and pursued you. Amen. Father, we pray right now as we begin to reflect that your Holy Spirit would reveal in any of our hearts where it may be that we're either cold or compromised. God, we pray that the truth and love of your word, of your gospel, by the power of your spirit would melt our hearts, would convict our hearts, would comfort our hearts. I pray that we would not move on too quickly from this moment as we now have set aside this time to respond, Holy Spirit, would you do the work in our hearts that must be done? Whatever we're not seeing about your love and your truth today, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? And if there's anyone here or joining us online that does not yet know you, I pray that today they would say, Jesus, I know nothing in this world can save me. I believe you died on a cross. I believe you rose again to give me forgiveness of sin and salvation forever. We pray right now that those people would believe and that your spirit would move even now. We ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, as we respond right now, this is our moment to not move on too quickly, not pull out our phones and start kind of checking what's happening the rest of the day, but allowing the Holy Spirit to take these words, these truths into our hearts. There are men and women over to my right, to my left, by the prayer team signs with the shirts. They're here to pray with you and for you. And I invite you, if the Spirit's compelling you, to get up and walk over to those men and women, and they'd love to pray for you today. Where is it that you need comfort? Where is it that you need encouragement? Where is it that you need conviction and courage? Ask God for that today. Bring it into the light. 
And if you're not yet a Christian today, we invite you to commit your life to Jesus. Say, Jesus, save me, not because of what I've done, but because of what you've done. And take this opportunity this morning to, to walk over to the men and women on that prayer ministry team and just say that. Say, I want to give my life to Jesus today. For the rest of us, let us respond in worship and allow the truth and love of the gospel to change us and to transform us. Let's do that now.